Hello, and welcome to season six of the Second Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, and I am so, so, so excited to be back bringing you amazing stories of women who have changed their lives and or careers after the age of 35. As my regular listeners will know, I am on a mission to shout to the world that women do not become invisible, but have stories to tell at every age, and to remind you that it's never too late to start your next chapter. So before I bring on this week's guests, I have a few requests to help you to help me on my mission. First of all, please subscribe and tell a friend to subscribe to the podcast. Let's start a movement. Secondly, I'm publishing a new newsletter. Same vibe as the second chapter podcast, positive stories of female power, the second chapter news, and a quote or two to get you thinking. I won't spam you, expect it every couple weeks, and I'm sending out the second chapter stickers to the first 100 subscribers. Sign up at thesecondchapterpodcast.com. I'll have one more favor to ask later in the episode, but for now, here's this week's show. This week, I'm speaking with Jennifer Arthurton. Things were ticking along pretty well for Jennifer until she was about 50, and then they weren't. From a struggle that left her mostly bedbound to embracing the fact that old chicks know shit, Jennifer has turned her life around by shedding society's labels and helping others do the same. No wonder my body's burnt out. Like, I've been asking her to carry the weight of all of the stuff that I had stuck down in it. And yeah. when I uncorked that and allowed the emotion to begin to flow, it was the beginning of the physical, spiritual, emotional healing. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? I am great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm in London, and I have to say, after a very bleak winter, I am finally happy. <laughs> I, I'm personally finally happy because we have some sunshine. How is it in Toronto? It was lovely, and today we're having an ice storm. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of ups and downs, let's just get right into the story of you and your life, because it definitely seems like there's been some ups and downs. Mm. Sometimes I take people back, you know, tell me about your childhood or tell me about your early life. I'm going to actually ask you to go back to sort of 48, 49, your late 40s. Yeah. You are working as a VP in a global financial organization. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your job, what you were doing, family life, etc. Yeah, so I was married, had a daughter who was just finishing up high school, working at a great organization. Yeah, I didn't hate my job. I actually liked my job. I got amazing benefits and perks and I traveled a lot. And for the last probably five years of my career before that, there had been this kind of niggling like question that would come up every once in a while that would have me say is this it? Is this really what I worked so hard for? Because I did everything that you're supposed to do. I'll go to school, get good grades, get into a good college, get a good job and work your way up the ranks. And I had attained what I had been striving for, like my whole you know, employed life. It sounds like you got to the point that people, like you said, what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You were. Yeah, exactly. And then I would find myself sometimes in boardrooms and be looking around and being like, wow, is this it? Is this like all there is? Now what? And just having this kind of low grade dissatisfaction, let's call it. Mm -hmm. And then, but I would push it away. I would just push it aside because, okay, back to work, back to reality. <laughs> I got a job to do. I got bills to pay. And that would be that. And then in the year leading up to my 50th birthday, I found myself divorced, unemployed, empty nester. So my kid left and went away to school and I was bedridden with a stress-related illness, like to the point that I literally couldn't get out of bed most days because I just, my body had no energy left in it. There's this list of things, <laughs> like it was suddenly all these things that one of them would cause enough stress to 
either get ill or depressed or find yourself in a bad position. Out of all of those things, what was the scariest? Or were they just all, I don't know, equally horrible? Yeah, no, I don't think any one of them was more scary than another. I think the culmination of them that really led me to this point that I didn't know who I was without all of those roles and titles that I had in the world. So if I'm not a wife, if I'm not a mother, if I'm not a corporate executive, and at the time I was like a really avid gym goer, like I was the person who was in the gym at six o'clock in the morning before heading to the office. If I wasn't all of those things, who was I? And I came to, I came to the fact to realize that I had no clue. Like I was identified by what I did in the world, but I didn't know who I was underneath it all. And that for me was the scariest part and really saying, what do I want from my life? Again, I couldn't answer that question because I didn't know who I was. And going back to you saying about being an avid gym goer, I know I was reading on your blog that you also got fired from your personal trainer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where did that fall in all of this <laughs> nightmare? So, you know, as I find myself lying in bed most days, barely unable, like grocery shopping was a challenge. But for some reason, I was hanging on to what I thought I could control. So I was like, okay, at least now I can go to the gym because that's what I've always done. And I was actually afraid to like let go. And this was like the last part of my identity that I was hanging on to. And mm -hmm. one day I walked into the gym and my tra trainer looked at me and she said, your body is very clearly talking to you because I was like not sleeping at that point. I had all kinds of ridiculous little injuries. And she said, your body is clearly talking to you and you are not paying attention and I won't be part of it anymore. And I just remember being so angry at her. Like, who the hell do you think you are? Yada, right? And then it took me about maybe about two weeks after that that I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. Okay. She's right. I was this always driven type A, very ambitious person because like I could control and manipulate and force whatever needed to happen. I could make it happen. And that was the mentality I was going into this. But very clearly my life was telling me that what had been working for me, that got me, that served me well in my career was no longer going to work for me. I really identify with the gym going thing because I'm a triathlete and hadn't been training that much. Like I was just doing as little exercise as I could do to kind of, you know, stay mentally and physically healthy. And when I went through my divorce, it was sort of the same thing. Like suddenly the things I could control was what I was eating. Mm -hmm. So I became very strange about, it's probably the closest or it was the time in my life that I had eating disorder or that type of thing, because I was obsessed with controlling something. Right. And I was running all the time, running to the point that I got so thin because I wasn't eating enough. I probably wasn't doing great things to my body, but I felt because I was light, I was faster. And it was just this, for a while, wonderful feeling. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a personal trainer to break up with me, but there was a moment that it definitely always like, wait, the adrenaline stopped yeah. <laughs> and it, I couldn't go anymore. Yeah. And that was a, a big part of it for me was realizing how um, disconnected I was from my own body. Basically, my body was this thing that held up my head that kind of carried me through the world. But I didn't really <laughs> think about it other than like to beat it into a certain way of looking and being so they could wear mm -hmm. whatever clothes. So the image of my body was literally all I thought about related to my body. And it was only going through this whole experience where I had no choice but to tune into my body and to listen to what it was saying. And that was like, at, here I was 50 years of age for the first time ever. And at that point, and I was going through menopause, which was like a two by four to the face for me. Not all women experience it that way, but for me, it was that way. 
And in the process of that, between my burnout, all my physical symptoms, I gained 30 pounds. Like I didn't matter what I ate. And so even that part of myself that I've had tried lovingly in quotes to create was now gone. So right. in some ways it was really freeing, right? Because there was nothing left for me to maintain. There was no image to live up to. Like I didn't have any of the roles and responsibilities or identities that I've had. And as the universe has it, it brought me to that place where I was like, okay, I can now let go of everything and decided what I would like my life to be. So looking back, it was one of the biggest gifts I've ever probably know the biggest gift I have ever received. So before it became a gift though, what, just walk me through a little yeah. bit. What kind of order did this happen? Was it literally, I know sometimes these kind of things happen in the course of a weekend or was it this happened and then this happened? And it was, it was probably thinking about it was probably like a good year and a half span, but looking back on it now, all the signs were there and I should have known, but. It was like, you know, my daughter left for school. I was traveling a lot at that time. My job was really, really busy. One day my husband and I look at each other and go, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like, and then he says, I don't want to do this anymore. So that kind of started to unfold. And then my health started to decline, like to the point that I wasn't sleeping. But the weird part about not sleeping was I had all this energy the next day. And I kept thinking mm. to myself, like, okay, I slept for three hours last night, but yeah, I could go. And I was a little, I was smart enough to know that, oh, this isn't going to end well. Like this is not supposed to be this way. And so yeah. I took a leave of absence from my job to focus on my health and said, okay, hit pause for two months. I'm just going to go tidy up some of this health stuff and I'll be back. And then when I got back, I basically found myself unemployed. Oh, yeah. So it was kind of like, whoa, okay. And then my health pro got progressively worse from that point on. Like I said, to the point I could go to the grocery store and get the groceries, but I couldn't come home and put them away without having to have a nap. <laughs> wow. So I I'm thinking about this, finding yourself unemployed too. Sorry, yeah, I'm yeah. digging so deeply into this, but that just sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Again, it was part of the gift because... I started fighting it at first. So it was this whole series of events that happened, you know, and I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of it, but this whole series of events that happened and I was fighting for my job. And then one morning I woke up and I was just really clear thought about what am I fighting for exactly? I'd had this kind of niggling feeling all along going, is this it? Like, what am I fighting for? Do I really want this job that badly? And, and I'm an analyzer. Like I analyze things to death. But that morning, that thought was so clear. So I was like, okay. So then I managed to be able to work my way into a really nice package, shall we say. And so again, it was a bit of part of the blessing, but I just, as soon as, this is the thing, as soon as I surrendered the fight, things started to fall into place. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I was fighting hard. Like I was fighting really hard for my job, trying to have it to prove myself. And I was like, man, I've been in this with this company now for 11 years. Like I've given my life to this for 11 years. And here am I now trying to justify my existence. Wow. Do I really want to stay here? Yeah. Cause it's true. If you have to fight for that hard for something, it's the same thing with divorce or yeah. things like that, that it's like, you're fighting and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> if I have to fight this hard. Yeah. Is it meant, is it what I should be doing? Is it the energy that I need to be spending on myself? When all of those things are in your identity, right? Like, and my identity was very much wrapped up in, I'm a corporate executive, I'm a wife, I live in this house, all of that, I earn this amount of money, I have a great job. As those things started to fall away, it felt like I was fighting for my life in, in many respects. But like I said, the, the really clear epiphany on that morning was the beginning of me going, okay. 
something's got to change. Something, something has to be different here. So let me just put this one down for a minute. Not to say that I had a real clear epiphany about everything and it was all uphill from there. Oh no, it continued to kind of go on the downward slide because my trainer fired me after that. And there was a whole bunch of other things that were pretty or comfortable, but it was the beginning of me surrendering into a process that has continues to give me gifts every single solitary day. And I'd like to know, cause you use the, I think you use the phrase midlife course correction. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as you said, in some of the years leading up, there were some signs, mm-hmm. but I'm assuming it from the way you're talking, you didn't want a course correction. You were going in the direction you thought that you wanted to go in. And there was suddenly something that really forced you to stop. You don't have the energy to unpack the groceries once you bring them home. Yeah. Where do you, how do you get to the point from, I can't even, I have this weird energy, but I can't get out of bed to this is a gift. Oh, so that was a bit of a long process because like I said, initially I was fighting it um, every step of the way. And at the point where I was probably at my lowest of lows, basically couldn't get out of bed. I would be looking around me going, okay, I'm 50. Like I'm starting over. Basically I'm starting from scratch. I'm like, who starts over from scratch at age 50? And I'm looking around me and I'm going, how come everybody else has their stuff together? And I don't like what's wrong with me. So I threw myself a big old pin party for a really long time. But I, now looking back, I see I had to do that because really it was me grieving like an allowing yes. space for grieving all of these things that I had lost in a relatively short space of time. But there was a lot of tears. And then at some point it turned to the like, okay, I started looking out into the world to say, okay, where are the 50 year old people starting over? Is it even possible? Where's the evidence? Mm-hmm. And honestly, what was reflected back to me, like the portrayal of 50 year old women in our culture was not great. It just wasn't good, which actually made me feel yeah. really wor- like much worse. And at some point it switched to this place where it's like, okay, you now have an opportunity to decide what it is that you want. If it's not that, if your life is clearly telling you that's not available to you anymore, what is it that you do want? And that began for me a very deep soul searching process of answering the question, who am I? First of all, like who, like really, who am I underneath it all? And what did I want? And that was a process of the first step, which really was a gift, was to stop all the doing because I had a very busy life. So I didn't even have a chance to entertain those thoughts that would come up every once in a while because I was so busy. It's like back to work, keep going. But there I was forced in my bed, unable to do much and really just started reflecting on that. Okay, who are you? What do you love? What do you not like? Like tiny little questions that I would just answer, ask myself and I'd start journaling all of my thoughts just Mm -hmm. to get it out. And I was actually surprised by some of the stuff that was coming out from it. And then at some point I decided, okay, I think I'm going to try meditation again because uh, I had tried to meditate many times in my life before, because that was the thing that successful people did. (laughs) I'm laughing because it's so familiar. (laughs) I considered myself an abject failure at meditation. It's just not for me, but for some reason I felt like compelled to try meditation. So I went to this meditation class at this yoga studio that I had joined and was trying to get into yoga too, because again, that was the thing you do, right? And (laughs) if I can't go to the gym, okay, I'm going to try yoga. And I'm sitting on the mat in the very, I think there's six of us in this room and I'm sitting on the mat and it's a guided meditation. And I feel this well of emotion start rising up in me. And I'm like, what the hell is that? What's going on? And I can't control it. As much as I try to like keep the lid on it, I literally can't control it. And it 
bubbles up out of me and I find myself sitting on the mat, like crying, <laughs> not just crying, like mm -hmm. sobbing. And I leave the class. It's a beautiful picture of me with a bit full of snotty Kleenexes, mascara running down my face. Everybody else is sharing their beautiful meditation experience. I can't even speak. I'm just like, all the zen that meditation brings. <laughs> and the instructor just kept, like, at one point she had pushed over a box of Kleenex to me and just was, like, nodding at me or whatever. And as I walk out, she's smiling at me again and she says, oh, I'm doing an eight-week series if you'd like to sign up. And I have no idea why I did that, but I signed up for eight weeks. And every week for eight weeks, I sat on the mat and sobbed. And somewhere in around like the fourth, maybe the fourth week or so, I was like, okay, like, I still didn't know what I was crying about. I really didn't fully understand what was happening. But I, somewhere around the fourth week, I was like, okay, something wants to come out and I am just going to let it. Again, I was like forced to this place of surrender <laughs> where I'm just like, mm -hmm. I just need to let it happen. And really, when I look back on it, I can see that it's all these years of, first of all, grief, like the passing of my mother, that I just jumped back into work, all the things that I had lost, grieving the person who I thought I was, like all these emotions that I had literally just kept stuffing into my body. And it was at that point where I was like, oh, no wonder my body's burnt out. Like I've been not only asking her to go to the gym and do the, the traveling and all this stuff, I've been asking her to carry the weight of all of this stuff that I had stuffed down in it. And yeah. when I uncorked that and allowed the emotion to begin to flow, it was the beginning of the physical healing. Well, actually, the physical, spiritual, emotional healing that I needed. But I had to uncork it, and that meditation class was the way to go. <laughs> was the uncorking of so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel I've heard a lot, especially recently, about this concept of we have all these labels and we think that's who we are. Mm -hmm. But just when you were saying that, I was thinking, if you described yourself as your roles, what kind of was the first thing that came out as, actually, this is me versus the role I've taken on? I hope you're enjoying the episode. I promised one more thing you could do to help the second chapter's mission. Would you buy me a coffee? Yes, I love coffee, but this one's virtual. If you like what you're listening to, head over to coffee.com, that's K-O-F-I.com, and support the podcast by buying me a coffee or lots of them. There's also a button you can click at thesecondchapterpodcast.com if that's easier. Thank you. Thank you as always so much for your support. Once you were able to realize those labels didn't mm. apply anymore, and because I think so often in society, we're, we are the people that the society categorizes mm -hmm. us as, as you were saying, you were corporate, you were mom, yeah. you were wife. What was the first thing that came out when you realized who you mm. were? Like what kind of label or lack thereof were you able to give yourself? So that's a really interesting question because as I began to uncover layers of myself, I wasn't in full acceptance of those either. So the first thing that I really started to understand was that I was a, I'm a really sensitive person. Like I'm a very heart-centered and sensitive person. And I didn't, I couldn't quite accept that for a while because that had never been useful for me in my past life. In fact, it was like, mm -hmm. never show emotion. In fact, I went through a whole divorce and never told a soul at work because I didn't want anybody to think I was too emotional or not capable of doing my job. So like I, I kept, other than my like closest friends. And I remember one of my friends saying to me at a party one night, she's like, you make this divorce thing look so easy. And I remember thinking like, what a lie, like what a lie I'm living because I am torn to shreds inside, but on the outside, it was all nice and I got it all together. And that served me, that served me for a period of time, but really accepting myself as this kind of 
very sensitive person underneath it all, which I now see as a huge gift again. But it took me a while to come to terms with that. I, this image of me at this, as this corporate go-getter, push, push, that's actually not who I am. I thrive on space and creativity. Like creativity was, creative was one of the labels that I came up with that I had never, would mm-hmm. never have said before. Like I love nature. I, I love slow mornings. That was never my existence before. And so coming to terms with all of those parts of me that didn't quite fit into what I thought the world wanted of me was a little bit of a struggle. Like it was a little bit of an identity crisis. And so much of that are things that we might associate with being feminine or being a woman as well. And of course, with a corporate identity. Yeah. And I always say, oh, I think it's getting better. I hope it's getting better. But of course, with the corporate identity, we it, for so many years, it's been forced into this quote unquote masculine yeah. version. Yeah, no, that is so true. And that was literally my journey was to learn to embrace the feminine side of me, like to learn to kind of embrace that feminine energy. But because before that I had labeled it as weak, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and I never wanted anybody to see that side of me. And I went from guardrail to guardrail. So from uber masculine to uber feminine, and then the pendulum kind of swung back a little bit. And now I recognize that I can be very equally balanced to both. I just can't mm-hmm. do them at the same time. So it's been a process of learning these things about myself as I go. When I originally reached out to you about coming on the podcast, I think what I said in the email was something like, you basically are doing a podcast and having this organization that's similar to me, but with a much better name. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So you are now, I'm going to say running because there's so many different aspects of it, but running old chicks no Mm -hmm. shit. Which is so much cooler than the second chapter. Kudos to you. (laughs) Tell me how that started and yeah, a bit about it. So Old Chicks No Shit actually came from many moons ago in my corporate life where, you know, where we would have new people join the team. We would be saying, we would say things like, just follow us old chicks because we know the ropes. And then, you you didn't say no shit in corporate. (laughs) But then when it came back around to me, and at the same time I had been searching again, I was like, where's the inspiration for starting over at 50? Because the societal or cultural narrative is about you're 50 getting ready to shut things down. You're riding off into the sunset with a handsome man on your hand and a big water pot of gold. That's when I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, no. Or you're a crone. Right. Or, or you're, you're a crone. crone. Those are the two choices. It's- and I was like, but wait a minute. I don't, I didn't, and I didn't identify with crone at all because I'm like, okay, I'm not this wizened old woman sitting on the mountaintop. I'm no longer, mm-hmm. if you think of it as maiden mother and then crone, I'm no longer an active mother. My kid's not around anymore, but I don't identify that with crone yet like maybe one day but it's not who i am right now and i actually returned those years in between the maven years because if you look up the, like it. the dictionary definition of the word maven it says um an expert with knowledge or wisdom to share and i was like oh okay <laughs> that kind of fits and it was this notion of like i got to this place where i was like i do have so much that i want to do there's so much that i want to be able to contribute and, and I was talking to other women too, and I was hearing their stories and everybody was having the same feeling of being like considered not as valuable, invisible, irrelevant. And I kept looking around and thinking like, there's all these like super badass women out there doing amazing things. Like, why do we not see that in the narrative? Why is the narrative just like bladder leakage protection, meal replacement shakes and waiting for your grandkids? All necessary, all valuable, but not the whole story. It's like a tiny sliver of the picture. 
first of all, I started blogging about my experience. And then in my search, I started talking to these women and finding out that, oh, there were people actually out there recreating their lives and starting new careers and reinventing themselves. And I wanted to start sharing that because I'm like, if I need this inspiration, I know there are lots of other women who need it too. And that started the podcast. And Old Chicks No Shit really is about reminding women that regardless of what our face, body, hair looks like, we are inherently valuable. Like we have life skills, we have knowledge, we have wisdom. And that's not like some giant mistake of mother nature where we just get erased off the planet, right? It's like we are supposed to become leaders and teachers and guides and wave showers. That's this portion of our life is about. So it really, that old chick's name shit really just seemed like the perfect name for reminding women that they are ridiculously powerful regardless of what um, society says about us. Yeah, and I love taking the the old title or the old chick's title and really claiming it. Like, you know what? Old doesn't have to mean crone, as we were saying. Yeah. Ways and done about and top. It it means I know something. And Maven is fabulous. I love that. I'm going to break that one for myself. Well, because if you think (laughs) about it, like, this is actually the longest chapter of our lives. Like, from, let's say, age 50 to 80. It's a 30-year chapter. So are we, like, supposed to just sit around waiting for the end for 30 years? Like, that to me is, like, mind-bottling. <laughs> right? There's a whole, maybe yeah. two more chapters in there. It's so true. It's so true. And I feel like so many things I've read, too, you I mean, about women that, you know, whose narrative was a little bit different than yours as far as having kids a little bit later. And it's still, like, they hit 50, and it's sort of like, but I don't even have grown kids yet, you know? And then where is that? story so it's great that people like you and i'll take some credit to people yep. like me are All embracing these kind of yeah. stories and saying 35 is where i started women over 35 because i feel like it starts even earlier than 50 we still continue to have value and the more we're talking about it the more i'm just like people yeah. people men the patriarchy yeah. will have to listen yeah and i truly believe that as Every woman, as each woman steps into her power, she lights the way for another woman. And collectively, the more we can do that, so the work that you do, the work that I do, and many others who are doing similar work, together, together we change the narrative. Because the more we can inspire women to step into and own who they are, and own all of their gifts and talents, and use them in ways that feel meaningful for them, that's where, like you said, we change the narrative. So, yeah, I get goosebumps when I think about it. It's incredibly powerful. And as far as I'm interested in the blog, because I feel like blogging, podcasting, you know, we're not in these areas that aren't full already. So how did you start the blog to the extent that people were reading it and you were getting people on board and how did that work? Yeah, it's so I actually didn't start the blog because I wanted people to read it. In fact, it was complete opposite, but I felt really compelled to start writing for some reason. And I had never really written anything other than an essay in school or strategy decks for work. But I felt this real big compulsion to to write. So I started just writing for myself. Like I said, I started a, a huge journaling practice and it just turned into writing about my experience and my feelings. And then one day I woke up and I was like, okay, you have to publish this. And I remember I put it on Instagram. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? I remember it took me probably about three days of sitting on my hands to not go back and delete it because I was like, people are going to think I've lost my freaking mind. Like all of my colleagues who <laughs> follow me, like my family, everybody's going to be like, what the hell is she doing? And it it was really, I felt very exposed because I was sharing myself at a level that I had never before. Like I had this very tightly packed package with a nice little bow on the top before. And here I was sharing my insides with the world. 
But something just kept me pulling forward. So really the blog was my own kind of therapy that I let people into. Welcome to my therapy room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then I would get comments and feedback and from friends and acquaintances and other people who would read it. And a lot of people were experiencing the same thing. They were like, oh, I totally relate. I feel you. And I was like, wow, look at this. So it really was part of my healing journey that turned into something unintentionally. And then as it gathered steam and I was like, okay, I want to share the inspiration that women need at this time of our lives. I want to be the counterculture, the anti-aging, you must have this cosmetic, don't, you know, let your hair go gray. Okay, that's one part of who we are. It's a tiny portion of who you are. I want to share the rest of it, who women are on the inside and how brave and strong and badass they are. Because that's what the world needs to see. The podcast, and, and it's probably my most favorite thing to do is to have all these incredible, you know, conversations with these really incredible women and share them. It's, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah. Don't let the secret out of the bag. Cause I love it too, but we don't want everyone else to start a podcast. Cause like most people have them already. Don't encourage people. There's plenty, there's plenty <laughs> no, of room. I love it. <laughs> there is plenty of room and I do love it. It is such a wonderful thing because in a way, I think my theater company, which is about telling stories of women 35 plus, and then extend the podcast. It was the same thing for me. You know, I'm feeling it. Other people must be feeling it. Yeah. And there is a therapy behind talking to someone and me asking you, how did you get that to work? That's really incredible. And as much for me as for the people that are listening, it's like other people are doing it. We can all make it happen. It's amazing. Yeah. And I am such a huge believer in the power of like community and teamwork. It's one of the reasons why I started the Midlife Kickstarters Mastermind Group for women who are reinventing themselves because it can feel, and I know it did for me, it can feel like a really lonely journey. Why is everybody else's life just going on unscathed and here I am struggling, dealing with all of my limiting beliefs and fears and that I'm not good enough and all of this. And when women come together and support each other, it's magic. Like it's pure magic to watch another woman hold somebody else's belief for her while she's really having a down day and saying, but I believe in you, right? Until that woman can then hold your belief. And so the power of community around this is incredibly important, I think. Like it's the only way it will be successful for all of us to change the narrative. And I know that the mastermind, you have the five things you can do to get unstuck. And then where does it go from there? How does the community work? So it's five easy steps on a PDF. It's not five easy steps in life, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, some of the things that you said are things that you obviously that you've taken them from your own yeah. situation, but it wasn't like one day you just popped out of bed and said, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> if only. So, you know, if the first thing is really about reconnecting with yourself or connecting with yourself for the first time. Like for me, it was the first time that I had actually ever tuned in and been like, okay, what do you want? rather than being driven by what was expected of me and what my family needed from me and what my job needed from me and really getting connected with myself, which again is a process. It's like any other relationship that you would build with somebody. It takes time and space mm -hmm. to do it. And my first step is always just stop doing and start being for a minute. And even if five minutes a day where you just carve out some time, some precious time for yourself and sit and stare out the window while you drink coffee, or encourage people to get a journal and just be like, free write, see what comes out, see what's in there. Get to know those parts of you. A lot of women at this time of their lives, they feel stuck. They want something more, but they have no idea what it is or how to get there. And the answers are always inside of us. The answers do not live anywhere out there. The answers to the questions that we have are always inside of us. And so journaling, um, meditation, 
if you can mm-hmm. do that, maybe it's sitting for two minutes and just listening to the sound of your own breath or doing a guided meditation, like whatever that looks like, just finding ways to create space, enough space that you can hear your inner voice, your intuition, your gut, like whatever it is, because that has the, the, the clues that you need to start moving forward. I'm just nodding and nodding because I'm just like, these are the things that I don't know, like what you're saying, the labels that we have and and the doing instead of being. And I've had the experience where I've followed along some of these more like when they ask you questions, you know, what, like you were saying, what makes you happy? Who are you inside? All these kind of things. And I've had the question, what do you love or what makes you happy? And sometimes it's honestly like, I have no idea. And not sitting and thinking and knowing yourself, because I've always been like, oh, I know myself. I've spent plenty of time alone with myself. Spending time alone and actually being with yourself is not the same thing. Spending time alone on my phone or doing work or cleaning, those are not being with myself. Yeah. You're exactly right because we're always like, it's so easy when you're with yourself to pick up your phone and start scrolling or to bury yourself in a good book, but you're not with yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you just said, you're really not, you're distracting yourself. And then the question I often ask the people, the women that I work with is what are you distracting yourself from? What is it that you are trying not to see? Because I, like I said, that question would come up for me and I'd be like, okay, back to work, go do what you need to do. Right. And the question, like what it was really alerting me to is this is not who you are. Like this is not in alignment with who you are as a person, but I couldn't acknowledge that because I had invested so much to get to where I was. And the thought of actually, if I acknowledge that fear, that would mean that I I had to change something. I had to do something. And that for me was like way overwhelming. What do I even do? But like then getting forced into that place where I really had no choice. One of the first things I did, I started just, like I said, sitting for five minutes with myself and things like writing came up. I was feeling very called to nature. So I would drive to the edge of the forest and go for a really short 10 minute walk because that's all my body could handle at that point. Sometimes I would just sit at the base of a tree and I would just be like, okay, I'm just going to sit here in nature, like with no particular agenda and just see what comes up. And I realized that that felt really good. So I started just incorporating that into my day journaling felt really good. Meditation was getting easier and easier, but it was a step-by-step process that started with like literally five minutes in the morning. So I always encourage my my clients to take the tiniest possible step in the direction that you want to go. And like I said, if it's sitting for two minutes, staring at the window while you have coffee, so be it. Job done, check the box. <laughs> with your clients, I'm sure that you're getting a big reward out of that as well. Because like mm-hmm. you said, seeing that other people have this need what happens once once you're working with people? And I think you work with people in groups as yeah, well. Right? Yeah. So most of what I do now is I do have some one-on-one clients, but mostly I uh, work in groups like through the mastermind. So that's exactly what we do. So first of all, we talk about the ways that we can connect with ourselves. It's a place where we come to have our thoughts and fears and limiting beliefs witnessed. Because the other thing that is very prevalent is everybody has a story about themselves, who they think they are. And as we mm-hmm. start to unpack that story, right, like you tend to come up, come face to face with a lot of limiting beliefs. And so we go through this process and like exercises, discussions about what is it that's coming up for you? What's that thing that you really can't even say out loud or to your friend, but it's coming up for you? Let's put that on the table. Let's talk about it. And then we talk about things like dreaming and visualization. So most of the women who join the group, are either in this stage of they know what they want, like they or they have an idea what they want, but they don't know how to get there, or that they're in this place where they're just 
I know I want something more and I am still trying to figure out what it is. So we go through this whole process of, for example, visualization. And people will do this at different stages depending upon where they are. But allow yourself to dream. What's your perfect day look like? Put the pieces together. Picture yourself in it. If you do know what it is that you want, like you're you know, building a business, for example, do the visualization of your first customer coming through the door. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Or the first you know, check that you get. And really just allowing yourself to dream and expand into that. Because what happens to most of us is we think this, we have this idea, we have this nugget. As soon as we think it, our brain immediately fires 99 reasons why that is not possible for you at us. Absolutely. And it's a mechanism of our brain. Like it's an actual physiological mechanism of our brain to keep us safe. Like whenever we get out of our comfort zone, like it again fires all the reasons why not. But they're not true. And so recognizing the untruth in all of those things and being able to take action in spite of them is hugely important because the fear never really goes away. You just get much better at managing it. Telling your thoughts and limiting beliefs to go have a seat in the corner or sometimes I'll have them do jobs for me. Go make me coffee. Go make lunch. (laughs) Like just (laughs) not here, not now. I always say this. No, we're not doing this today. We're just not doing this today. You're not welcome. Make me coffee. Exactly. Yeah. So we worked through a lot of those types of things. And the beautiful part about being in a group is like listening to somebody else share their experience is so incredibly valuable because it tweaks things in you where you're like, oh, I thought that too. Or I had that question, but I was too afraid to, to ask it or it prompts you to ask a question. So the playing off the energy and I always keep it a very small, intimate group. Because we can't have 150 people doing this. So it's eight women who come to get really know and support each other at a very deep level to see themselves as for what they are. So you can't see yourself objectively, but that woman who, you know, is in the group with you can see all of your strengths and your gifts and she can remind you of them constantly. So it involves some one-on-one coaching, some group exercises. Like it's a combination of all of those types of things and really helping women take the steps, tiny steps forward, you know, towards the things that they want. So um, a question mm-hmm. that would only make sense in the last couple of years. Are you doing everything in person, online, a combination of both? I do everything virtually, but I actually am now feeling very pulled to do some retreats. So it's probably my next mastermind group will have it. I love a good retreat. That's yeah. <laughs> Especially now because we've done, I mean, I'm still very happy to do quite a bit of online things. I think it's opened up us talking yeah. from London to Toronto. It's opened up so many different things, whether it's accessibility because of money or because of physical disabilities, there's mm-hmm. just so many reasons yeah. to keep doing things online and virtually. But I also am craving things like In let's person. all get together and do these things too. too. So a retreat sounds fantastic. Yeah. You talk about donating time to your dreams. What's your dream? Oh, my dream is um, to see old chicks no shit take over the world right? For it to be a global enterprise where women from all over the world can see themselves, can find the inspiration and the support they need. I'm working on a book right now. I have the podcast. And one of the things that's really near and dear to my heart is going to be, I don't know what it's called yet, but um, an old chicks no shit charity, which will be Mm. about uh, a nonprofit that will be about supporting women who want to retrain for new careers or start businesses and things like that. Because I a little while ago, read some statistics that talk about women being 80% more likely to be impoverished at retirement than men. Oh, that just, oh, I just got like horrible goosebumps. Yeah, exactly. 
And when you start to unpack that, you realize that it starts at the beginning of our careers where women are less likely to negotiate for higher salaries. Women get penalized for having children, like their salary stagnates for a while while they have children, where the inverse mm -hmm. of that is men typically earn more because they have families. And then women reach their peak earnings at age 44, whereas men uh, continue to reach their peak earnings at 55 and their peak earnings are 40% higher than women's peak earnings. So when you add all of that up and then you layer in death, illness, divorce, whatever, it puts women at a serious disadvantage. And while I was able to recreate my life starting from a place of immense privilege, you know, having a package from the organization that I worked with, there are women who only think about creating their kick-ass next chapter, but can't do it because they are struggling to put food on the table. And yeah. that to me is just an injustice that cannot stand. Like it's about raising the tide for all ships. And so having an organization where women support women through this nonprofit is something that I am incredibly passionate about. Oh, the statistics that you just said. But I'm so fueled by what you just said as well, because the idea of I always think about it as we're kind of talking to ourselves sometimes that maybe lives have changed and there is a real journey, but at the same time, often it is coming from a place of privilege. Like yeah. you said, it's not, I can't put food on the table. So I love that cause. Yeah. I, I'm just, I don't, I'm speechless, but I absolutely yeah. let me know what I can do. I would love to be involved. Stay tuned. Amazing. I'm staying tuned. And on the big, what's your dream? I will also ask, um, did you bring a quote for me today? The quote that I love and has been an inspiration from me is to let go of who I am so I can become who I might be. And I, why I love that is so many of us cling to an identity, which may or may not be a, really us, and the process of letting go of pieces of those to allow the true and authentic parts of ourselves to come out is such a beautiful thing. Like it was a beautiful thing for me. I witnessed it in my groups and with my clients as well too, because we're all, we all take on the rules and responsibilities and mold ourselves to fit whatever situation it is that we need to fit. And we've become misaligned from the truth of who we are. And I call midlife the gateway to authenticity because it's the place where we strip away everything that is no longer serving and we become the most authentic version of ourselves because in that place is where our gifts lie. And so helping women like connect in and find the truth of who they are is, again, it's super powerful. I love hearing the story too of you becoming this more sensitive nature lover after this, letting go of this vision you have of yourself of this woman in armor and becoming a little bit of a hippie maybe. The hilarious part about this is my mother was the original hippie. Like I used to look at her all the time and go, you are such a hippie, right? Like she was an artist. She was a free spirit. She was a creator. And I just used to be like, you don't live in the real world. You know what I mean? <laughs> and now I'm like, whoa, I am more my mother than I ever thought I would become. And I love it. Like I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm going to go meditate in nature and talk about like my authentic gateway to authenticity and being and but I love it too I, you yeah, know I what it. I remember what time right um, she used to look after my daughter when she was very little and one night I came home from work and they had taken the roller blind like the blackout blind off my daughter's bedroom and painted a beautiful mural on the back of it like to the two of them together and I just remember saying do you know how much money that blind costs like you can't be like you know and then we still have that blind and you know after she passed away I'm like that is like my daughter cherishes that thing it doesn't fit any window we have or she has but it's a piece of art created and I'm like that's the kind of legacy nobody remembers how much that blind costs but like 
the process of them creating that beautiful image on the back of the blind so she could see it when she pulled it down at night. It's just, that's it. That's what it's all about. Yes. I really appreciate you coming to chat with me today and to remind us all that old chicks know shit. They do. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? Yeah. You can find me on all of the socials at the same name, old chicks know shit. Uh, Yeah. I would love to welcome you guys into my community and stay tuned for lots more to come from old chicks know shit. Super exciting. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jennifer. It was nice chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the Second Chapter newsletter. The Second Chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.